0: please be seated. Before we read God's Word, let us ask Him to illumine our hearts and minds. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause now in our time of worship to look to Your Word, to the Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy. Father, we pray that You would give us new insight on this passage, even though we may have heard it many times before, so that we might extract new meaning by your power and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. I invite you to turn with me in the Pew Bible uh, to page 197, where you will find Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And now, Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner. Giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, seventy persons. And now, the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Amen.
1: Well, uh, I have a, a real uplifting story for you this morning. Does anybody remember the movie 127 Hours? Did anybody watch that? Okay, well, how about this? Do you remember the story about the guy that had to cut his own arm off? Okay, there we go. Yeah, it's real uplifting. Real uplifting. This one. The guy's name was Aaron Ralston, and uh, he was going out in Canyonlands National Park in Utah. He'd done it, a, you know, a hundred times, and he went out by himself and and went out to this canyon. And he started climbing down a slip canyon, you know, where you can kind of compress on the sides and slide down, and and he, he hit this boulder that came dislodged, and it got his, his hand and his arm stuck right there between the boulder and the wall. Well, he, got, he went out by himself. He was alone. He didn't tell anybody where he was going, just, just him and nature, right? And uh, he goes out, and he's stuck. So nobody knows where he is, doesn't have a cell phone, can't get a hold of anybody. He spends the next five days trying to move this boulder. Here's the problem. It weighed 800 pounds, when they finally got that boulder removed, you know, uh, later on, uh, they, it took like eight guys and a couple of winches, like all this kind of stuff to pull that thing out of there. there was, that boulder wasn't going anywhere. And so he spent five days trying to move it. Couldn't. So finally he's looking at the last part of his water. And uh, he, he got his video camera, said his goodbyes to his family. And, uh, and then he said, okay, I'm going to try something. he pulls out his multi-tool. Right, which he said was like a cheap little thing he got when he bought a flashlight. It like came free. It was the free version. Pulled out a little two-inch blade, and about an hour later, he was free from that boulder. And he got out of the canyon, found a family on vacation. How would that be for a vacation? See this guy come running up to you. But he comes running up, and uh, they get him to a hospital within four hours uh, of having cut off his own arm to get out of here. Now, here's the thing. Here's why I mention this very uplifting story. And the reason is that God is on a mission, right? God is on a mission, and we are part of that mission. But there so many times, so often, we try to go through life following God our own way and on our own. We try and do it by ourselves. We try and, even, even his mission, when we try and be part of his mission, we do it by ourselves. We try and do it our own way. And, and when we do that, it's like starting our own 127-hour journey. It doesn't work just doesn't work. And so we're going to look at this passage in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, and uh, we're going to look at some people who are, who are at this crossroads of, well, what do we do? We see God's mission, but how do we do this in God's way and, and with God's people? And so we're going to be looking at that, that passage here in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this passage, but for us to really kind of understand what the disciples are understanding and what they're, what they're working on in their, their framework, we need to go back and we need to talk first about the mission of God. So we're going to talk about three parts to the mission of God. Um, does anybody here like buffets? <laughs> I said two hands go up. I like that. Yeah, I love, I love a good buffet. Um, in Austin, when I was living in Austin, there was a buffet. I, I'm trying to remember the name, and I never, I never actually went there, and you'll, you'll know why as soon as I tell you. Um, I think it was called Tom's Super Buffet or something like that, kind of on the north side of town. And uh, the sign underneath said Chinese, Thai, Japanese, American, Italian. <laughs> That's a lot of options. That's a whole lot of options, and I can't imagine any of them are actually very good. Well, here's the thing: a lot of times we treat God like He's an option at a buffet, and our culture treats God like He's an option at a buffet. That's great for you. I'm glad you like that. You know, I, you know that. Oh, that's that's totally fine. I prefer this over here. But here's the thing: the first part about God's mission is that He is not an option. He is the one true God. That is the first thing we have to know about God's mission. And you look, you can see it all throughout scripture. We just heard it in our passage in Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. A little later, he even said, he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings, right? Second Kings 19, Hezekiah, praying before the Lord, said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Jeremiah 32, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Psalm 47, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Joel 2, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. You get the picture. There is no buffet. God's claim is that he is it. There is nothing else in the category. He is the only, and nothing else compares to him. He is the creator. He's not distant watching things happen while he's sitting on a cloud. And when our passage in Acts says that the apostles are talking about preaching the word of God, this is the God that they are preaching about, is the one true God who ultimately revealed himself in Jesus. And he revealed himself, and we see him revealing himself all throughout scripture, and he revealed himself because of the second part, The second part of God's mission is that the second thing we need to know is that this one and only triune God, he wants the world to know him. That's what we were made for. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Psalm 72, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And you remember the call of Israel was to be a blessing to the nations. And then Jesus calls his disciples and he says, you go be my witnesses to the nations. God wants the world to know him. That's why the apostles preach. That's why they say here they're going to focus on the word because God wants people to know him. We were created to know him. And now we all know the story. We all know what happened, how sin came into the world through Adam. It broke mankind's relationship with God and with everything around us. And now sin affects every dimension of the human person, spiritually, mentally, physically, socially, all affected by sin. But God still wants his whole creation to know him. And that's why we read things like this in Isaiah 45. Turn to me and be saved All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And then he goes on and says, To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. We read again in Romans. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we're going to skip ahead to Acts 4. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here we see God's mission is rooted, first of all, in his identity as the one and only triune God. And it also is rooted in the fact that he is a missional God. He is a God who wants people to know him. He wants the creation to respond to him the way that it was meant to respond. And that includes us. It's Westminster Shorter Catechism. You can finish this for me, I bet. What is the chief end of man? I hear it a little bit. We're going to try it again. Ready? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. But because of sin and its effects on us in the world and the brokenness that is in the world, then God is also at work on the third part of his mission. And the third part of his mission is restoring this world that has been broken by sin. Look at Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. In fact, let's just read it up here off the screen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit, they shall not plant in another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This third part of God's mission is that God is going about restoring creation. He is about the work of restoring people and creation. And this is what it looks like when he's finished. This is his goal. This is the expansiveness of That the things that that pain us, that cause us so much pain here, will seem so small it will be hard to even remember them. That we will have joy, gladness, no more weeping. Babies won't die. If you build a house, you can live in it. If you plant a tree, you can eat the fruit. That's the kind of world, that's the kind of mission, that's the kind of redemption and restoration that God is going about. It's like uh, Chris Wright, a guy says, he says, sin should be punished and sinners forgiven. This This is God's plan, that evil should be defeated and humanity liberated, that death should be destroyed and life and immortality brought to life, that enemies should be reconciled to one another and to God, and creation itself should be restored and reconciled to its creator. This is what God's mission looks like. This is what God's restoration, his redemption looks like. And we're all called to be part of that. And so why do we do these mission trips? Alaska, Kenya, Ireland, Honduras, Bolivia. Why do we do these local missions things? Like working with Square Mile in San Jacinto or doing stuff with 4 Amarillo with the downtown churches or or Gratitude House with Downtown Women's Center. Why do we do this stuff? It's not just because it's a good idea. It's not just because we, we just kind of want to make people feel better or something like that. It's because this is what God is about. This is part of his mission, is restoring humanity and creation. And he calls us to join him in that. That's why we do those things. And why do we do small groups and Bible studies and Sunday school? Why do we think you should be there? You should be part of one. It's not just trying to get you to come to church for an extra hour. It's because when we come together around the word of God and around prayer, it gets into us and it changes us and it equips us to play our part in God's mission. That's why we do those things. Because God is actively involved in this business of restoring humanity and creation. And he calls us to be part of that. And when God calls, he equips. And when he's calling, he's providing a way. And that's what brings us back to the 12 disciples in this moment of history in the church of Acts is that they know the history. They know the whole Old Testament backwards and forwards. They walked with Jesus. They knew him. He explained all of this to him. They know his mission. They know how incredible and how overwhelming it is. And they're starting to realize here they can't do it all. That's, that's why they're getting this complaint. See, they've gathered together for the word and prayer. That's, that's that first part of God's mission, right? Knowing God, knowing this one true God. They've gathered together for the word and prayer. And then they've been preaching. That's that second part. God wants to be known. He is making himself known, and he uses us to make him known. So that's that second part, God making himself known. And then they've been trying to help the widows and care for those around them, right? That's that third part of restoring humanity and creation. But there's this complaint because... They just can't do it all. They can't do it by themselves. They can't keep doing things their own way. And so they get everybody together and they say, Guys, we got to do this God's way. And we got to do this together. And so in verse 2, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, they get everyone together and they acknowledge that God has called them to preach. They acknowledge that they can't do everything in God's mission alone, they can't do it all by themselves. And so they ask for help in verse 3. And they say to get together these seven, these seven people. And then they agree in verse 4 that they will primarily focus on proclaiming the word, on that, on that uh, uh, making God known piece. Uh, meanwhile, they're going to ask that these other people who are coming alongside uh, can, can take care and primarily focus on that restorative, that restorational uh, action that God is about And so now what's kind of amazing, and maybe I'm a nerd or something, but I think this is amazing because I'm looking at the, I am a nerd, uh, but I'm looking at, at the history of the church being formed. We're looking at the first church, and this is this moment recorded for us in history when God is teaching them how to work together on his mission. And so we're seeing what's later going to be recognized as elders, the people who are shepherds, who are ministers of prayer and of the word. And then we're looking at those who uh, would later be known as the deacons, who are focusing on the mercy ministries. They're focusing on the administration of things and of the church. And later on in the history of of the church, and later on in scripture... Uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy, Titus, you're going to see the roles of the elders and the deacons. It gets clarified. It gets expounded upon. It gets uh, delineated a little bit a little bit better for us. But this is it. This is where it starts, where they start to see God is forming these structures within the church for this thing to happen. And now the roles aren't meant to, to stifle. They're not meant to say, okay, well, you're a deacon, so now you can only help with this. All right. Next week, you're going to hear about Stephen. Uh, one of the one of the guys here mentioned they're going to, you're going to hear about Stephen, a man full of grace and power, says, uh, uh, and full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And he gets gets arrested, and he's he's pre- because he's preaching, and he actually becomes the first martyr of the church. If you join as a deacon, if you're nominated and, and you decide to accept, um, I can't promise you won't be a martyr, but it's highly unlikely that that's going to happen. Okay, But he wasn't stuck in this role of deacon. No, he went on and, and he said, I'm here, I'm proclaiming the word too. He did that too. So the roles aren't meant to stifle, they're meant to give focus. And for the deacons, who we see here, that focus is to lead the church in service, to lead the church in participating in that restorational part of God's mission, to, to take that step and then to turn and to say to, say to those around him, come with me, let's do this together. That's what the deacons are, are there for. And when they do that, and when each person starts using their gifts for the sake of God's mission, we see what happens in verse seven. The word of God continued to increase, And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. People begin to respond. People hear the call to know God, and they're responding. And the centerpiece of all of of what's happening is the cross. Chris Wright again, he says, ultimately, all that will be there in the new redeemed creation will be there because of the cross. And conversely, all that will not be there, the suffering, the tears, sin, Satan, sickness, oppression, corruption, decay, and death will not be there because they will have been defeated by the cross. That is the length, that is the breadth, that is the height and depth of God's idea of redemption. It is comprehensive, it is total, it is massive, it is universal in scale that this this incredible thing that God is doing and that is really really good news. So what do we do? What do we do to be part of this knowing God and making Him known? And and what do we do to be part of God restoring humanity and creation? Well, as a church, we have to, to ask the right question. Right? Right again, Chris Wright again says, he says, we argue about what can legitimately be included in the mission God expects from the church. So should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do this thing? He says, we're arguing about that when we should ask what kind of church God expects for his mission in all its comprehensive fullness. What kind of church do we need to be for God's mission? That's the right question. That's the right question. And so if we're going to be the kind of church God expects for his mission, then just like we're reading here with, with the early church, we need each other. We can't do it alone. We can't do it our own way. We need each other and we need to do it God's way. And we can take full advantage of these structures that God has put in place in the church with the, the elders and with the deacons. And, and we've kind of added in the, the trustees for, for part of that, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> and if God is calling you, if God is calling you, and maybe he is, maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to serve in one of these roles, then he has equipped you or he will equip you. He has provided a way or he will provide a way. You just need to walk into that. Or maybe God is calling you to partner with someone and have a small group in your home, to have a place where you can weekly gather, eat a meal, you can invite people in your home and, who don't know, who don't know the good news about God. Maybe, maybe that's what he's calling you to. Maybe he's calling you to, to, to find another uh, Christian at your work and say, hey, let's lead a Bible study together. Let's invite our coworkers to this Bible study on, on the lunch break or whatever that might be. Maybe he's calling us to help restore our community like the things we've already begun to do in in San Jacinto, in the Caprock area, with all the stuff Orlando's doing. Maybe he's calling us to bring justice for those who have slipped through the cracks in the system because there are so, so many. Maybe he's calling us to be the kind of church that will bring an end to the racial divide that exists in this city, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. On a personal level, we have to ask the right question too because as we go about it, we look at the passage and and it says to find men who are of good repute, have a good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And and yes, that is the call for for deacons and elders, but that's the thing that we're all aspiring to. That's the thing that we're all aspiring to, to to be part of God's mission. And so again, we have to ask this question. Chris Reddigan says on a personal level, he says... I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of me God wants for his mission. I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of me God wants for his mission. So we need to be the kind of people who have the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self control uh, because that's the kind of person we need to be so that when. When we're, we're a part of God's mission, when we're participating in his mission, that just comes out of us. That just flows out of us. That's not the kind of thing you can just grab it and stuff in. You can't grab patience and just force it into your heart. It has to come out of us. We have to ask, what kind of me does God want us to be? And then as we start to be the person God wants us to be, then it's kind of like uh, uh, the scene in Karate Kid, the, the new one. Uh, where the kid, you know, every day he shows up for training and he says, put on your jacket, take it off. Put on your jacket, take it off, right? It's the old wax on, wax off, you know? Put on your jacket, take it off. And then finally the kid's frustrated and he tells him, you know, he has the jacket and throws it to the side and he says, put on your jacket. And they start doing these things and he's like, wait, but I was just doing all these ordinary things. And he says, everything is Kung Fu, he looks over. he's like, everything is Kung Fu. It's in everything that you do. Well, you know what? I'm watching that and Anna, when I watch a movie with her, she looks over to see when I start to tear up a little bit. And I'm tearing up because I'm like, that's it. Everything is mission. Everything is mission. God is about bringing restoration and redemption into everything. And when you are the you that he needs you to be for that, you start to see it when you go to the grocery store, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you go home, when your kids are annoying, when your parents just don't understand, when things hit the... Fi- I mean, it's just... Everything is mission. And when we are the kind of church that God needs us to be, and when you are the you that God needs you to be for His mission, you start to see it. And so I want to leave us with that. I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask... What kind of me God wants for his mission? What kind of you does God want for his mission? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are about the work of restoring this world that we are in. You are about the work of restoring us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work on our hearts with your word and make us into the church and the people that you want us to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. part